Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When it's really, really, really all said and done, you do play golf with other people and you do make relationships through golf unlike you would in any other place and you'll carry them around with you for the rest of your life even if you only play with that person one time i got thoughts in my head can't get them out trying not to think what i'm thinking about i got thoughts in my head can't get them out trying not to think what i'm thinking about Hello, this is Alan Shipnook back for another fire drill with uh, Michael Bamberger, perennial wingman. Um, this we're not talking about current events. We're not talking about live golf. We're not talking about the FedEx Cup. We're talking about something that matters more here. Michael's new book, uh, "The Ball in the Air," which comes out uh, this week. Uh, I just finished reading it. It's an absolute joy. We thought we'd talk about the book, about the the craft of writing, about our various obsessions and um, <laughs> uh, books and golf and writing. So, Michael, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me do, do this with you again. We did it last time when we were both in New York and both at Sports Illustrated for a book called Men in Green. And uh, we we took a 30-minute conversation, got it down to eight. That's probably about the right length. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was that was fun. It, it, it's there's two parts of writing a book. There's art and there's commerce. You know, the writer controls the the art, the typing, and then you got to sell the book. To Michael's great credit, he doesn't even really care about selling the book. I had to talk him into doing this, <laughs> so it's kind of a funny deal. But um, Michael, for for those remi- who haven't, I would say more accurately, Alan, you reminded me that it might be useful. <laughs> Once you reminded <laughs> me that it might be useful, I was all in. But I did kind of yeah. forget about it. And the other part was uh, the Fire Collective is very nicely uh, excerpting the book as well. That definitely, you didn't have to sell me on it, but I had forgotten that that, traditionally well, speaking, was a very conventional way to try to get people to read a book. And of course, I always tell people, you know, hopefully your local library will have it. I guess you could say that's a passive aggressive way of saying, but maybe you'll buy it. But I do hope that your public <laughs> library will have it, but anyway, it's a fu- it's a funny business. Um, I never ask uh, our mutual editor. We'll talk about him, I'm sure. Um, how many copies are you printing? Because that's their thing. Uh, a more savvy writer than I, of course, asks that question because you can't sell more. But of course, now with Kindle books and electronic books, that's less meaningful than it used to be, anyhow. Like for instance, yeah. with, with Phil, what what was your with your with your with your Phil sales? What percentage was electronic versus hardcover actual book? Okay, first of all, this is very clever of you, Michael. Now you're asking me questions. I'm supposed to ask you questions. Don't turn this around. This is your time to shine. But yeah, it, yeah that goes. it came in. Yeah, it came. <laughs> I do know how that goes. It came in at uh, pretty close to fifty fifty, which is uh, they were they were thrilled about because. Over time, I think it, traditionally it's almost like 70, 30 now, tilting in the direction of electronics. But um, I think because golf tends to reach possibly an older audience or more traditional audience, uh, people still like to hold the book in their hands. And so publishers are always happy to sell actual books. I'm, I'm sure they do better on that as uh, from a, uh, a margin. Do you think so? I would think they do better off the electronic book because there's no paper, no ink. 
Yeah, well, that's true. Maybe a better way of putting it is once they've printed the books, they really want to sell them. They're committed. So they, they yeah. because of all the energy around Phil, they'd printed a lot ahead of time. So they were delighted to be selling them. I, that's Yeah, that's a good correction on your part. But um, I'm surprised to hear that 50-50 because I would have thought that there was so much news value uh, you know, in the Phil book. I would thought people, oh, download it now, read it now. You know, don't want to wait for the hardcover and lug it around. I, mean, I actually said that because if, if you recall, that excerpt came out in, in February, and the book wasn't released until May. I said to the to the publisher, the editor, um, uh, I remember. I that. said, "Why don't we just release the electronic version right now?" It's like, no, we got to sell the books. Like, we got to sell the paper books. So, it's it's a funny industry. It's it's still very old fashioned in a lot of ways. But uh, all right, and, uh, what are you doing with your? Now you got you got a paperback version coming out here. <laughs> Yes, Michael, it's supposed to be about you. Yes, the, the paperback edition of Phil comes out May 2nd. There's a very juicy... Hey, can, hey, can, I, offer, can I offer an idea? Yes. Get Phil to write an afterword. I, I think that's unlikely, but uh, it would be amazing. I've actually... Someone, I was at the live event in Tucson and <laughs> this is that crazy. Someone was lugging the book around in their backpack. Like, oh, I hope I was trying, I heard you were here. I was hoping I'd bump into you, which actually happened to be also in St. Andrews, which was also even more bizarre. But so I signed the book and I told the person, uh, this, this guy was probably about my age. I said, if you can get Phil to sign this book and I've signed it, like that might be one of one and the whole universe. I don't think, I don't think Phil's is, is, is signing too many of them, but uh, okay. The ball is in the air. It's, it's such a charming tale. I have my, my thoughts about, it, but for the person who's listening to this podcast, how would you, how would you describe it? I mean, it's, it's an adventure. It's, it's personal. You get into the lives of different people, but what, what is your elevator pitch out on this book? Ooh, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> did you see the gentleman walking by just a I second did, yeah. ago? In in the in the back, I'm at the Marriott Courtyard in Daytona Beach, and that gentleman's in the lobby here, and he's definitely, I would think, a uh, college basketball coach, a head head or otherwise. And the reason I say that is because he was talking baskets with somebody, and he said, "What well, was your mother athletic?" <laughs> That's always a tell. Oh well, I'll take that even farther. You know, coaching high school girls basketball, we, we the coaches we would scout like the middle school moms. Because if there's a really tall mom, you know, maybe the daughter hasn't had her growth spurt. Like that would factor into the who's going to make the team. How tall is the mom? So, uh, <laughs> all right. So tell us about the book, Michael. The elevator picture is that <clears throat> I grew up with the phrase, and Alan, maybe you did as well, that golf is the game of a lifetime. And like a lot of cliches, it's actually true. And so the idea here, and, I, and it really began with uh, our mutual editor, Joe Ferrari Adler at Avid Reader Press, um, which is part of Simon & Schuster, uh, that this might be a great time to celebrate the amateur game. That's where, that was the starting point. Uh, Joe says, let's celebrate the amateur game in a book. Let's write about the amateur game in the book. When he says, let's write, he really means you write a book about it. That's okay. That's how it works. He's got to edit it. So, um, so then I sort I started thinking about one of the great unique qualities about this amateur game is that you can start young and play it right through old age. And then the idea developed further as to, well, how can you actually express that in story form? And then I settled and I see it find one golfer uh, who's starting out in his or her golfing life, one in the middle. And one in the end, not the, I don't want to say the end, but one who has a lifetime of experience in the game. 
uh, and I know you'd be going here next hour, so I'll just jump in and say. So I, 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 after thinking about it for you know some months, I settled on three distinct people. One is Pratima Sherpa, uh, and some people would know the name. Maybe, be, well, some people would definitely know the name because she was part of an extraordinary documentary that Tom Rinaldi uh, produced with his ESPN colleagues. Um, she uh, and that came from, and he got the idea to do that from an all our heart. Oliver Horowitz story that ran in Gulf Digest before that. And she's a woman who grew up truly in poverty in a maintenance shed on the Royal Nepal, Nepal Golf Course in Kathmandu. Alan, I know you've traveled the world. I don't think you've been to Nepal. If you have, I've never heard it. No, I'd like uh, to get there. You know, who would even think who would even think there is a nine-hole golf course there? But there is, and she grew up in right on the property. And she developed her game to a point really with Horowitz's help where she could uh, play college golf. And she's now a senior at Cal State LA. She's going to graduate in May. So she represents the uh, the first uh, chapter of a, of a golfing life. Uh, our colleague, uh, Ryan French, um, I will always think of him as a colleague because he's in the fraternity that we're in of sports writers. Um, and everybody who knows the name Ryan French knows that he is the Monday Q guy, as people say. And... Um, people always say about him and Ryan's life has had a lot of turmoil and a lot of difficulty in it and a lot of great moments as well. But at one point his life in his thirties was really going in a chaotic direction and at the, and not overstating it in a suicidal path. And, um, he got his life back on track and I'm not going to say golf saved his life, but golf contributed to the saving of his life. Um, and then the, and then I have an 88-year-old friend, and some people will know this name, uh, a, a man named Sam Reeves, uh, who grew up in a small town in Georgia, um, grew up in a cotton family, grew up in the segregated South, and um, is, was a very good, is a very good golfer and played in a U.S. amateur. And life has enriched every aspect of his life and exposed him to all the things that you and I know, Alan, that golf can expose you to, which is people from all sorts of backgrounds playing golf in all sorts of different places. And, um, golf has enriched every aspect of his life. So these three stories get interwoven are interwoven through, through the book. And, uh, and that is really the book in a nutshell. But I think the reason one, if one is a reader, one might write to read the book is that their stories are rich, uh, and the golfing experience, I think, for anybody who's serious about it, is a rich one. And uh, uh, so I hope, I don't expect a lot of people will find their way to this book. I'm glad that you did, Alan. Uh, but for those that do, I hope they come away feeling like, whether they're golfers or not, that, yeah, I can see why this game has such a hold on people. Yeah, there's a fourth character in the book, and of course, it's you because you you mix your story in as well, and it's very charming to follow your travels and to be be along for the ride as you revisit uh, Macrahanish and some of these other places that were part of your own golfing life and education, and um, and there's others, you know, Lee Trevino kind of pops in and out, Butch Harmon, Tiger Woods, uh, Jack Nicklaus. There's there's a lot of characters that that en- enrich the whole tale, but what what, but you know the common thread is that everyone loves golf. Everyone's been touched by it, and it was a delight to read it. It's actually been very stormy here in California. We have a little sunshine today, but I mostly read it uh, while uh, 
the the windows were rattling and I had a fire going and it was it was the perfect sort of companion because it the whole book kind of gave me a, a warm and fuzzy feeling because it is I mean there's as you say there's there's challenges and there's there's suffering in the stories of some of some of your protagonists but uh, there's a, a hopefulness and like an optimism that, that runs through the book that I, I found very very winning and and life affirming and uh, even if you're not a golfer, I think their stories would 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 touch you. And you know, Sam Reeves, I've been around him just a little bit. You know, where we both live in this in this area, and uh, I've I've heard his beautiful his beautiful drawl, and I've seen his his lovely golf swing, and just the way he carries himself. He's just the absolute classic golfing gentleman. And um, but I didn't really know his whole tale. And it, it's you talk about a a quintessential American story. I mean, this guy came from a kind of average background and and had spectacular success in in business and but what's what's most impressive about him is the way he lived his life and the way he gave back and how much his concern for his his uh his fellow man and intellectual curiosity i mean that that was that was a revelation and um you know what would you say about sam who's really an an all-time character in this game yeah he really is he uh there's so much I could say about Sam, and I'll just try to limit it to the first thing that occurs to, to me to Sam, where you have a person who's serious about life. He is a serious person, um, but he has a tremendous sense of fun. He just has a fun spirit. We, he, he's a member of all sorts of nice clubs, one of which is the Cypress Point Club down the road from where Alan lives. And he, he lives on the Cypress Point Club course uh, uh, right above the, uh, the eighth green. And um, we were having lunch at, at Cypress Point. And Condi Rice was one table over. And she came over and said, hi to Sam. And she said, uh, Sam, can I visit with you? And Sam said, and Sam's got one word in his vocabulary. I absolutely love. He's got a lot of words, but this one in particular. And this is how he, it's S-U-R-E. But this is the way he says it. Sure. <laughs> and it's, it's, he's happy to say yes. Uh, he's like, uh, there's something I'd like to ask you. Sure. So Condi leaves and we leave. We get cookies to go for uh, our dessert course. He's always on the move. This guy's 88 and he's always on the move. And then Sam says, I don't know what she wants, but the answer is yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, so he has that spirit about him. Uh, he has a great friendship with Fred Couples and Jose Maria Lothaball. And as you were alluding to later in life, when I say later, so one thing that developed in this book in through Sam is that he views life as let's say zero to 30, 30 to 60 and 60 on. And there are different stages in life and, and different goals in those different stages, different ways to think about what your role is uh, on this earth uh, in, in these different stages. Um, preparation, implementation, and validation are the words that he uses for these for these three stages. Hmm. Um, I love that. And when he, yeah, there's a lot to it. And uh, he's an original thinker. And in his early, this is not like, he didn't pick this up from Dr. Phil. You know, this is him. <laughs> this is how he yeah. thinks. And um, uh, and one of the things that he uh, uh, discovered in his, uh, in, in, his, in his early 60s was that Golf meant he, he put golf on on this on the shelf for a while, and when he got into his early sixties, he sort of committed himself to golf again. Uh, and along the way, he developed two 
great friends late in life, which is not necessarily a common thing. Both happen to be golf professionals. And I think you'll know, have, you'll definitely know of, and I think you probably knew both men and I've known both men. Um, they could not be more different. And the two men are Butch Harmon and all our listeners would know the name Butch Harmon, uh, taught Tiger Woods and, and, and Davis Love and Craig Dorman, uh, uh, most notably after Tiger. Um, profane, macho, tough, steak eater, always has the needle out. But then his other great friend uh, in later life was the uh, the longtime head professional at Cypress Point, Jim Langley. Um, although he was a monster on the basketball court, uh, basketball court he played for uh, for Cal in the uh, in the late fifties, uh, and they won a national championship um, uh, over Jerry West West Virginia team. But that aside, did you ever know him, Al? Yeah, I had the great pleasure of sitting in his office one time, and, and we talked for a very long time because he's from Salinas, as am I, and we had that connection. And uh, and it was just uh, he he like Sam Reeves just exuded a, a gentility and a a gentleness, and that was I can understand why people were so drawn to Jim and and, and still are to Sam because there's just something almost. They're down home and they're 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 comfort comfortable to be around, but there's almost a a regalness about them that is is really unique and, and special. So so here are these two his two great friends they developed in the sixties, both both golf professionals could not be more different in personality, but it shows you it shows you the, the range of Sam and it shows you that in our own relationships we need a range of people in our lives. Uh uh what was the occasion that got you into Langley's office? You know, it's it, I, it was the first time I played the course. I I knew his son, Brett, who worked at Pebble Beach. Uh, he came in after I was a cart boy, but we kind of had that connection. And I was talking to him and it came up that I'd never played Cyprus. This is probably the mid to late 90s. He said, well, just, he said, let me call my dad. And I said, okay. And so he calls his dad and he said, he said, come on over. He wants to talk to you. And so I have, of course I had my clubs in the, in the trunk. I wasn't prepared to play or anything. It just kind of fell that way. And so we just, we just talked and, um, and it's finally, and I didn't know I was even going to play. I thought we were just gonna have this conversation. He said, well, why don't you go out and play the course? Tell me what you think. I said, oh, I'm by myself. He's like, I'll oh, we'll get you caddy. And I, I went out and played Cypress alone first time. It was, it was pretty special. And, wow. Uh, um, That's neat. You never told me that story. That is really neat. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was special. And, and, uh, he was there when I got done and we, we chatted some more. So that, that was my exposure to Jim Langley. But that was one thing that, that I really moved me in the book was that the, the connection the, uh, that all these that you know the protagonists, whether it's 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 Pratima or it's Sam or it's Ryan, it's what makes their lives is the people around them. And uh, even though you know the material circumstances of Sam Reeves and and Pratima Sherpa could not be any more different, like what the connective fiber is, like the love they have for their family and how that inspires them, and and their there's this desire to to see the world, but also to, to share it with their family. And, um, and of course, you know, you, t- you mentioned Ryan's ups and downs and, you know, it's basically through Stephanie then, and his parents that, that he kind of saves himself. And th- that's what I found really moving about the book. The golf stuff was cool. And I learned some new things and I enjoyed hearing some of the stories again that I've heard from you over dinner, but, uh, it was, it was the personal level of, of the book and, and, and that, that, that need for connection that that was super moving to me. 
Alan, that is an incredible insight. Um, and what you're sharing, I was not aware of it while I was writing the book, but I've since become aware of it, the very thing that you're talking about. And it just kind of really dawned on me when it's really, really, really all said and done, it would be very easy and very true to say it gets you outdoors. It gets you to compete against yourself. It gets to see if you can have this brain to body connection where you can send a message to get that golf ball to do what you want to do. It explores every facet of really uh, the human experience pretty much. But when it's really, really, really all said and done, you do play golf with other people and you do make relationships through golf unlike you would in any other place and you'll carry them around with you for the rest of your life, even if you only play with that person one time. Um, I don't know why that thought didn't really occur to me while I was writing it, but what you just said is exactly what I believe. It really, really, really is about relationships. So like, even if you look at and let's not do a whole thing here unless you want to. If you look at Rory supporting the USGA in this ball effort that they're talking about, I can see the fingerprints on it. Um, his relationship with Fred Ridley, a former USGA president, with Fred Perpal, the current USGA president, with Jimmy Dunn, a new PGA Tour board member, um, all his dad, of course, all these elders that are in his life, uh, Tiger, of course, um, that his he thinks for himself, but his but like any person, especially an, an intelligent person like Rory, he's taking in information all the time. But part of taking information is trusting the source, and you trust the source when you have a relationship with them. And these relationships come out of golf. And just to finish that one one the, one thing I explore in the book is that. For whatever reason, I'm born in 1960. I have a lot. My wife, Christine, is born in 1960. I have a lot of great friends who were born in 1960, 61, 59, that we've been on this earth literally the, you know, the same amount of time. And it's not just like, oh, do you remember the Mannix episode where blah, blah, blah. It's much more. It is a little bit of that, but it's much more than that. And something that comes to mind is I, I played at Macrohanish. You mentioned it before. With a uh, this summer with a man named Tommy Blue. Tommy Blue, like me, is born in 1960. Didn't have the benefit, you know. Went to high school and then and then went to work as a roofer uh, in on the Mola Kintyre, southwestern co coast of uh, Scotland. Uh, played on Paul McCartney's hit, uh, uh, the Mola Kintyre, when he was a kid. He played the kettle drum on it, or played the drum on it, and we were together for one three-hour period, and we were comparing notes on marriage and health and raising kids and golf. We met one time. We had one round of golf. We may never meet again. I hope we do, but we may never meet again. And I guarantee—I can't quote guarantee it. I mean, that sounds silly. I just know that the round enriched me, I would say forever, actually. And I don't know what other sport could do that. So what you said, Alan, about relationships is exactly what I feel. But and and you wrote about that round and it made me smile because I, on your recommendation, I went to Macarhonist in like the nineteen ninety seven or ninety eight, and I I just I just rocked up on the first tee and I, I got paired with a couple local guys and they were a total delight and they invited me to dinner afterwards and and we had a whole connection and yeah it, it is it golf is unique that way and 
I'm I'm not as adventuresome as you are. Like I, when I'm traveling, I often, not often, I sometimes get invited to play really nice places with total strangers. I just, you know, the, the invitations come through social media and I almost never do it. Like I just, I really just want to play golf with my friends. Like, and cause I don't get to play that much in, and it's kind of a special thing for me. So I don't play by myself. Like the most the fundamental thing about golf to me it's not the swing. It's not making putts. It's just being with people that I love. And so, um, it's, I, 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 I definitely felt that in, in reading the book because there's, there's so much love in the book, not only from the protagonist, but it's, it's your love affair with the game. It's the, the esteem you hold, uh, the characters it's, uh, you know, you talking about your honeymoon with Christine, the readers kind of along for the journey. Like I would say the book is sort of about golf, but it's mostly about like, it's like a love story in, in a lot of ways. And I think that's why I was, I was so charmed by it. That's neat. Al. Um, we can end it right there. If you wish, it would be absolutely fine with me. Cause that's lovely. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, let, well, okay, sure. But let, let me just ask you one thing. Cause you, you referenced our conversation, men in green, a lot has changed in, in, in our, in our typing lives and in, in the world. And do we write the swinger before or after that? Let me think here. It was b- oh, well, before, yeah. That's, yeah, that was like 2000. Well, a few years, few, not so well. Yeah, few three, four. Before. But I remember asking you this question. We talked about like, why do books even matter anymore? Because, you know, my kids are teenagers. We talked about this on a different podcast. That they love to read books, but almost none of their friends do. I mean, everything's on the phone. And, you know, I look I look around. There's It's, it's not the there's just not the number. It used to be feel like there was a dozen golf books that came out every year. Now you get two or three or four, if that, and, um, I don't, are we dinosaurs? Like, why are we still doing this? Like you and I both love to write books, but, but why? I don't know. And, and you said this when we were doing that last time we were talking about, uh, Ben and green, some, well, getting on 10 years ago. Now it's a grind. Writing a book is a grind. I will say this book and you and I shared this, uh, well, th- this book, was not a grind to write. And I've had that experience a few times. When you and I wrote The Swinger, it wasn't a grind. Uh, when I wrote To the Lynx Land, it wasn't a grind. Men in Green wasn't a grind. The Tiger Book was a grind. I mean, I could go right through it. I uh, wrote a book about the film director, M. Night Shyamalan. It was a grind. Um, it's a grind to write a book. But I would say, you know, you and I have written literally thousands of short, medium, and long magazine pieces, and now for the internet. Um, and of course, you've do, done a lot of podcasting. But when I think back to my writing life, the thing that gives me the greatest pride and satisfaction are the books. Uh, and uh, I think you have to be very aware that it's a very egotistical proposition to say, I'm asking you to spend you know, the time it's going to take to read a 260-page, whatever it is, book, you know, some people read it in three hours, but most people it's going to take longer than that. But part of the part of the contract is, if I'm telling you, I've worked hard enough on this book that I think it's going to be worth your time. Um, and uh, that's a great feeling to know that you have the confidence to feel that, to actually believe that. Uh, and um, I find that very satisfying. And then, and I know you have this experience too, the full circle of you have an idea in your head, you report it out, you write it up, the book goes out, people respond to it, it com- the response comes back to you. Uh, there's almost nothing in life, I can't really think of anything in life like it. And I have co- I've had a correspondence now going back to the mid-80s 
with literally thousands and thousands of readers, uh, some of whom I only hear, many of whom I only hear from once. But it's just a great feeling to know that whatever it is I tried to experience to get down on a piece of paper, whatever form the paper takes these days, uh, resonated with somebody. It's a great feeling, actually. Uh, I would say I have almost, I mean, I'd say I would have a, a need to have that connection with people. It's a very different kind of relationship than what we were talking about before, but it also is very much a relationship, whether you hear from the people or not, because that relationship starts with the idea of bringing this book out and in, into the world. Um, and what you're saying about yourself and the process of doing that, but at the same time being really, really, really aware of the person on the other end and what they are, may, or, may or may not get out of it. Yeah. Okay. Now we can end the podcast. That, um, okay. <laughs> but that, Let's cut all that out. No, no. I, I think it's fundamental because the, the people who pick up this book, I mean, there's parts of you on every page in some ways. And I think it's nice for them to know how much you care and, and how much you've invested in it because there are plenty of books that get written fast and they're, they're, um, you know, they're driven by market forces, but this was obviously a, a labor of love. And in some ways it's, it's 40 years in the making. I mean, you, you, you talk about when you're caddying and your caddy days going back to the eighties and there's, there's a lifetime of golf experiences on these pages. And so I think yeah. that's why it means so much to you because it's your life in one place. I mean, and you were literally on our honeymoon yeah. with, you know, on your honeymoon together. Like it's, that's, that's neat. That, that, yes, that, you know, I mean, you know, things happened in the seventies that made me fall for this game. And I, and I hadn't thought about them at all until writing this book. Like um, I went to a large uh, public high school in Suffolk County in Long Island. Uh, you know, it was a different era. We, three or four of us would sit in the, in the flatbed truck of Bill Sweeney's truck going from the high school to the public course where we played our practice rounds. Uh, we went through this semi-rural uh, African-American neighborhood. Um, they, Sweeney stops the truck one day and says, uh, go into the deli. It's a African-American deli. Go into the deli and, you know, get me a jar of pig's feet. You know, they know I'm the only kosher kid on the golf team, <laughs> you know, but just like weird, fun, happy, odd stuff of life that you take that, uh, lingers with you forever. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it would be literally 40 plus, you know, getting on, getting, well, on I mean, it's for me, uh, years in the making. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you you go back to your earliest days in golf, and the high school reminiscences are, are cute, and like it, it's a journey. I mean, I, of course, I've read all of your books; I love them all, and I some of these, some of these, Thank there's you. yeah, of course, there, there's I've I've in other places I've read a little bit about this or that, but it's neat to have it all in one place. I mean, I feel like, and I know you're not done; you've got you've got plenty more in you, but I feel like this book captured a. a a golfing life in a really unique way. And it wasn't just yours. It was, it was a bunch of them, but you know, you're the through line. So, uh, ha hats off. It, it's a great read. Thank you for your enthusiasm for my typing life. Uh, <laughs> it's great to know. I've got at least one reader. Out there. Got at least I find it useful to think about one reader. And I often think about Jofi, our editor, uh, cause he's a very sophisticated reader and a very savvy golf person. And it's like, is he going to get it? Uh, I, I've always had that, like, sort of one person in mind. Is he or she? Like, I would often think about my mom, who knew nothing about golf. 
And I remember, this is getting really, really off topic here, but I remember once reading a letter to the editor of the Times. It was about, and the woman was complaining about the sports section coverage. And she wrote, Do you realize that in this story, you never said what sport you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember once being at a public course, and it was a, it was a public course outside of Baltimore. And, and it was a teacher teaching absolute beginners. And the question was, How do you tell the difference between a six iron and a nine iron? And the guy said very patiently, well, the nine, they put a little line underneath it. And that means nine. The six is just. But it's like, a great question. You have to, it is a great question. You have to allow for the reader's experience. And that's why. So that that's that meeting of the minds between. Well, it's all a meeting of the minds, but anyway, uh, I don't know where that I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you for all this, Alan. Yeah, I look forward to doing this with your. What when? When? When is your uh, live book coming out? Early November. I'm not sure we've set, settled on an exact date, but right around November first. Uh, I mean, speaking of grinds, it would have been nice to have a little more time, but in in fact, I'm um, I'm happy that, that I have this deadline because I I could work on this book forever. I mean, it's. Um, it's it's so rich and there's so many layers to it and i i did three phone interviews today that were just out of control and i feel like the book got seven percent better in one day it's just like i'm constantly learning things and 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 one person turns me on to something else and i go down these different rabbit holes so it's an utterly fascinating project but um uh, that book it live is a lip live is a litmus test for personality disorder (laughs) it will reveal oh my god it will reveal everything you think about the human condition live is a fascination unto itself yeah well if you don't you know yeah go ahead yeah yeah and it pops up in your book here and there and i i enjoy your your sort of disdain like and your your not not even for live in general but just like like this is not the golf that I care about. I care about playing with my friends. I care about the soul of the game. You know, the the people who are who are obsessed with the golf, and and uh, it made me laugh a few of your little your little commentaries. But yeah, it's and I th- and and just to just to finish that thought uh, from from my end, I love professional golf, and and I think the professional golfers should make what they can make. Of course. Uh, but I think professional golf at some level, not at every level, should be above the fray uh, and should have a certain element of grace to it and not appear to be grubby. And right now, as it has been said, on both sides, there are fine people on both sides, of course, but there's a lot of money grubbing going on on both sides. And I do find that distasteful. <laughs> yeah. But talent, but as our as our former editor Mark Mulvey used to say, talent must be paid. I do believe talent must be paid. <laughs> but there's still that within real. Look, if some if Trophy would have said, "Yeah, we, I want you to write a book about you know amateur golf, and I want to pay you five billion dollars for it," I would say, "Please don't," because I don't want that pressure. One and two, you'll go out of business. <laughs> so it's just not. It will never make any money like that. Period. Impossible. Uh, so don't. Or I would say no, uh, you know, whatever. This is crazy talk. This is part of your charm, though, because most people would say, "Okay, I'll take five million dollars and I'll write the book. I want to write anyway." But I, you're, uh, it's, it's, you, ha- you a man's got to have a code to quote um, the wire, and you have a code, Michael, and that's that's one of the things we appreciate Thank about you. you. So, <laughs> all right, all well, right, the book is uh, the ball Thanks in the those. air. 
Oh, it was great fun. And uh, as Michael alluded to, um, there is a uh, an excerpt on firepitcollective.com. We'll give you a little taste of it, but just a little one. I, it's... I think sometimes when you when you watch a preview of a movie after ninety seconds, you feel like you've seen the whole movie. But this book, Christine always we go to a lot of movies. Christine always says, "I just saw the whole movie." Exactly. We 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 come in late after the trailers just for that reason. <laughs> they give away way too they much. Do. But in this case, have you seen this new Farrelly Brothers movie about the 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 coach with the with the kids with the differences? No, but I've heard it's good. What do you think? I'd like to see it, but they gave away so much in the trailer, but I still want to see it because it's, yeah. you know, Woody Harrelson and it's I, Bobby Farrell. I know. Yeah, no, I'm interested as well. But the point I've been trying to make, you keep interrupting Michael, is that this excerpt, while very, <laughs> while very charming and fun to read, only hints at the depth of this book. So enjoy the excerpt. Um, enjoy this podcast. But I would implore you to um, to read the actual book because there's so much there. And, and I think anyone who loves golf, loves writing, loves the human condition will we'll, we'll take a lot out of this so without embar- embarrassing michael any further we're gonna we are now actually going to end this podcast but uh thanks for your time mike thank you and uh thanks for listening and thank you Al. this is another podcast and we'll uh we'll keep we'll keep at it that's the end thanks i bet big and i played to win made a fortune when my ship came Ran the table, never thought I could fall Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking